If we think over the greatest technological innovations that we've had over the past many decades, there's probably a lot of different answers that we could come up with, and some more obvious than others. But one of the ones that might be less obvious, or the ones that we may not appreciate truly, at least to the level we might expect, might be the automobile. Think about just how great this gift is, because we can get into our car in the morning and we can go to work or school effortlessly, that we can be there in a matter of minutes. Or even if we want to do something a little bit larger, if we want to do something of a greater plan, maybe we want to go in state or out of state on a small trip this weekend, that we can certainly do that with relative ease. That this gift allows us in this innovation, it gives us the ability to go places where we've never gone before and with the ease that we've never had in past times. And so we often enjoy this great gift of driving, just simply going out and getting away for just a little while. But there's always this one element that threatens to take away that joy so often, other drivers. If you think about it, so often the frustration, the anger, the wrath and the fury that we can feel while we're driving, it comes from somebody else. It comes from that person that cuts us off while we're driving down the highway at a fair amount of speed. Or maybe we're trying to merge onto the highway and people just won't let, open up to let us in. Or maybe we're at a four-way stop and we find ourselves there and another person gets there and they decide they're going to take the first turn. So often these are the moments when we can be tempted to be so wrathful, so filled with anger, and even amount, an amount of rage. But it's in those moments, too, that we have the opportunity to exercise forgiveness, to overlook offenses, to even consider, am I sometimes the one that commits the offense? Am I sometimes that other driver? We begin this morning with the book of Sirach, and Sirach is a part of the books of wisdom, the series of several different books that form that collection. And as such, it continues that same theme, that it's trying to give us these short bits of wisdom and these short bits of things that are good for us to hear or to follow, or even it grapples at times with the great questions within life in a sort of philosophical way. And this moment in the book of Sirach is no different, but it deals in specific on the topic of forgiveness. And so it starts off with this simple statement, wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs, hugs tightly to them. That it acknowledges that fact, that it can be so easy to flip over to anger or to flip over to wrath, and it could be something that is so much of a temptation that it's hard to overcome. And yet it goes in and it starts to see the contradiction in wrath and anger and even in the life of the sinner. That it starts to go through and it lays out that so often the sinner, he wants to return to the Lord and he wants healing, but he's so quick to anger that he doesn't want that healing quite just yet. Or maybe the sinner wants mercy, but he withholds that mercy from others. It doesn't really seem to make sense. And so it starts to become an exhortation that one often needs to practice these virtues, to practice this healing, to practice this merciful demeanor, so that they indeed might receive mercy themselves. But it goes towards the end of time. That, it that as the author in that book of Sirach is writing for us, he encourages us to think about the end of days, about those times that are coming, those times whenever there will be a reckoning for all that we have done. And then those moments we should be willing to exercise mercy because in that very moment we want mercy ourselves. 
But then it goes to the very end, to look at the Lord and His covenant, the ways that the Lord wants to overlook sin, because it's that very way that the Lord wants us to live as well. Thus is the book of Sirach. It's going through that contradiction, but it seeks to straighten it out and to lay it out in terms that one can understand so that it becomes very clear what the Lord is asking of each and every one of us. We move on and we hear from the book and the letter of St. Paul to the Romans. And he speaks that no one lives for oneself, no one dies for oneself. Whether we live or we die, we should be in the Lord. If you think about it, that's not really a very common way of life, not in the time of the Church of Rome, and not even today. That oftentimes, as we spoke about last week, one is seeking to live for oneself, even though that's not really what the Gospel asks us to do. And in fact, the Gospel asks us to do the complete opposite. But nonetheless, that reality is laid out. And then St. Paul, he speaks because he wants to remind us that the Lord is, in fact, present in life and in death. That if one follows the Lord in life and death, death is not something to be feared, but in fact, they live for the Lord. They live selflessly so that the Lord can take them to himself. And so the Lord is Lord of the living and of the dead at the very end of this reading. And it's reminding us of that reality so that we may not come to fear ourselves, but in fact may live as the Lord's so that whether we live or we die, we're always the Lord's possession. And because of that, he takes all of the possessions that he has to himself, even to the kingdom of heaven. Then finally we arrive at the gospel according to Matthew. And this is a sort of question with Jesus issuing a parable as an answer and as a statement and as a moment to teach the disciples just how much he wants them to know about this topic of mercy and forgiveness. So at the very beginning, Peter, he asks Jesus a question, and it's not just him sort of issuing a hypothetical, but instead it is him issuing that question on behalf of all the disciples as a sort of spokesperson. And so he says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? As many as seven times. He thinks that he's going above and beyond what is called for. And so he thinks that he's going to be rewarded for this example and for this answer. And yet, as much as he's issuing the statement, it is something that the Lord takes and he builds upon. And we should understand, too, that the number seven is always of significance in the Bible because it is a number of perfection. That any time we see seven, it is the completion. It is the ultimate good. And Jesus takes it not only seven times, but I tell you 77 times. He takes it and he multiplies it exponentially to prove a point to the disciples that if seven is perfect, he wants them to reach the pinnacle of perfection. He wants them to reach towards the 77 times. And he's also taking it out of the realm of a mathematical equation that one could try to calculate. Rather, he's trying to put it so far above them that they can't even begin to count the number. And so he's trying to tell them that it is an abundance, that they are to give and practice that forgiveness time and time and time again, that it's not an equation, it's not a sort of scoreboard, but it's something much more than that, that it's a practice and it's something that they should do even to the times that they forget how many times they've forgiven. And then Jesus goes into the why. And he starts to lay out this parable. He tells that there's this master that is accounting with his servants, and he finds one who has a huge debt, that it's told that he has a massive amount of debts. 
Some commentaries tell us that it is the equivalent of 10,000 days' wages, something that's almost incalculable. And so the master truly has a moment of reconciliation with him. And at the beginning, he starts to grapple with how to make him repay. So he starts to tell him that he's going to sell him, his wife, his children, and all of his property in repayment of that debt. But at this knowledge, the servant begs for forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, but he asks for more time. He tells them to give him more time and he will pay it back in full. And so the master hears that. And we hear that he's moved with compassion. That this servant pleads with him so earnestly that that master is moved to very, the very core and depth of his being. So not only does he grant him his wish, but he forgives the entire loan. Truly much more than the servant could have ever dreamed of asking for. And so the servant goes free. Or at least we thought he went free. Because he goes and he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him a much smaller amount. And he begins to seize him and to choke him. And he demands from him, pay back what you owe. This seems rather shocking. Because this is a man who has just had his entire debt forgiven. We would expect this man to be overjoyed. Like any of us who have repaid a car, who have repaid a debt on a car or even a house, there's a certain amount of joy that comes with that. But not so with this servant. Instead, this servant, he takes it as a moment to exact from others because he's so self-absorbed and so selfish in his own way. And so he demands from that servant... And when the servant asks for the same thing that he asks for, he denies him that mercy and, in fact, throws him into prison. And the other servants are bothered by this. They are truly distressed by this and very disturbed, so much so that they go to the master and report the whole affair. The master calls this servant back. And the master is so filled with fury, and understandably so, that he throws this very servant back to his very first desire. That he throws him into prison to give him the time to think about it and to pay back the entire debt. Because that servant wouldn't forgive the debt of his neighbor. And Jesus is not mincing words at the very end. That he says, so will my fa heavenly father do to you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And my brothers and sisters, he's not just speaking to disciples 2,000 years ago. What does it mean that he's speaking to us here today? It might be somewhat of a challenge, and it might be very daunting. In fact, it might cause us to become quite very fearful, because we know how difficult it can be to forgive our neighbor. That, in fact, the Lord is telling us the very same thing that he had told his disciples. That unless we find it within ourselves to forgive our neighbors their debts against us, so will our Heavenly Father do to us. Isn't that something that's a bit troubling? Well, it might be. That if we don't find it within ourselves to be a merciful people, we might find ourselves very troubled and very convicted. But what if we chose to live differently? And how are we supposed to do that? Well, first... We need to recognize we are a people in need of the Father's forgiveness. We need the Lord's mercy. We need His healing. We need Him to overlook our sins. Because this is something that's so often overlooked in today's age and in today's society, and even in some Christian denominations, that they forget all about this element that we need to be recipients of the Lord's mercy.
that oftentimes we're the ones that do wrong, that in fact sometimes we're the other driver, that we're the ones that commit offenses, that we're the ones that do the things that we shouldn't or don't do the things that we should, that in fact we are the ones that need to receive the Lord's mercy and forgiveness. So many times we forget that very thing and that very element, that we need to be recipients of the Father's mercy, that we've done wrong and we fail to do good. And that, in fact, is a call for us to recognize that we need the sacrament of reconciliation very powerfully. But it comes with this question for each and every one of us to consider. As important as the sacrament of reconciliation is, when was the last time you've gone? When was the last time I've gone? When was the last time we had the courage to cross the threshold of the door of the confessional? Because there's no mistake about it. Each and every one of us need the grace that is on the other side of the door, but so few have the courage to approach. And oftentimes it goes into two different camps, because we know that we need the Father's mercy. It has been promised to us, and he's told us time and time again that he will forgive us so much that we can't even begin to conceive of how much we need it. That that servant that day, he had the courage to only ask for a small portion, but the master gave him so much more, and the Lord does it with us. But oftentimes there's a couple of different things that keep us away from confession. First is that we believe that we cannot be forgiven, that we find it within ourselves that we've done too many things wrong, we failed to do good, and so therefore we find ourselves unable to cross the door of the confessional, that we're so encumbered by fear, because we don't know if the Lord can truly forgive us, or we feel that we never will be shown the Lord's mercy. But the Lord promises us that if we have the courage to approach, that he will show us that mercy and show us that forgiveness. And so we need not feel that we can never be forgiven, but we should feel that we should have the courage to approach and to ask for that forgiveness. Because as much as we ask for, so much more will be given us. But the other one is much more insidious, the other possibility of why we don't approach the confessional. And it is that we feel that we don't need the Lord's mercy. We don't need his forgiveness. We haven't done anything that bad. We haven't broken the major Ten Commandments. And in fact, because of that, we start to look around and see all of those around us and say, I'm not as bad as that person, therefore I don't need reconciliation. It doesn't matter if it's been a few years. I can just simply live my life and do as I please. That's never been what the Lord has told us. Because if, he says, if we pray, then we will be forgiven. That's what the book of Sirach reminds us. He reminds us of the need for the sacraments. And so we ourselves should be aware of that sacrament, because oftentimes, if we're not willing to forgive our neighbor, that means that there's something holding on to our heart and our soul, that there is something that is preventing us from receiving mercy and forgiveness, and so we ourselves will hold out on our neighbors, because we don't know where to turn ourselves. That we feel that we haven't been forgiven, why should we forgive our neighbor? And in fact, those are just a couple of reasons why we may not have the courage to approach the confessional, as merciful and as forgiving as it might be. And I can promise you, the only thing that's waiting on the other side of that door is mercy, is compassion, is forgiveness. We withhold those things from ourselves and from our neighbor if we don't take advantage of that sacrament. But then the final point that we should consider today, the way the Lord encourages us to forgive our neighbor and to show mercy upon them, because it's something that's not all that common in this day and age. That as much as we're driving the streets, the world tells us that if they do wrong to you, you do wrong to them. You show rage, you show fury, you show wrath, you show anger. And all of those things are okay. Because you live as an individual. 
But that's never what the Lord has been saying. He's been telling us to live as if to overlook sins, to live in forgiveness, to live in mercy, to live in compassion. Because as many times as our neighbor might be asking for forgiveness from us, we should be asking for forgiveness from them and from our God as well. And many times, my brothers and sisters, we're the ones that don't allow mercy. That whenever someone asks us to give them a chance, we don't give them that chance. Whenever someone asks for forgiveness or issues us an apology, we simply hold on to that wrath and that anger because it gives us that power, feeling, and control. That it gives us that feeling of feeling good, at least for a moment. But if we're truly honest with ourselves, if we hold on to anger and resentment, wrath, fury, and all of those grudges that we might hold on to for so long, they don't give us that sense of power. They don't give us that sense of control. In fact, we find ourselves very weak and very confused, very afraid, very lost, and very lonely, because that's all we have left. But what if we forgave each other those debts? What if we gave each other the chance? What if we went before the Lord our God and asked for mercy and forgiveness, and when we received that mercy and that forgiveness, then we go out and bestow it upon others? Because if we truly do that, I dare say we won't just find joy and be forgiven, brothers and sisters, but we will also find that same joy in knowing that we forgave another their debt, that we were generous with them as God is generous with us, that we know it's not up to us to simply hold on to these things and to hold on to them and hold a sort of scoreboard wondering how many things we can amass or how many times we might forgive our brothers and sisters. It's not about counting the cost. It's about experiencing the joy of return. It's about forgiving others and knowing that we brought them into right relationship with us and perhaps even with our Lord and our God as well. That if we truly receive from the depths of the Lord's forgiveness and his mercy, we should not be an angry people. We shouldn't be angry with the Lord. We shouldn't be angry with one another. We shouldn't be wrath. We, should, we shouldn't be filled with wrath. We shouldn't be looking for moments of resentment or moments where we can take out our vengeance upon each other. If we truly live in belief of God's forgiveness and we truly receive that to ourselves, that's the first challenge. But then we're going to receive and give it to others as well. And that's where really our homework might lie for this week. Brothers and sisters, we have so many different people in our lives, and many of them need our forgiveness. Perhaps there's a few that come to mind as I say that right here and right now. A few different grudges or a few different places of healing that we need. A few different places where we've amassed a debt, or at least someone's amassed a debt against us. Where is that person right now that the Lord is asking you to bestow forgiveness upon Because we can't be true Christian disciples. We can't be in good standing with our Lord, and we can't dare to ask for forgiveness and mercy if we're not willing to show that to others when we've been given so freely. And that might be a good thing for us to pray for this week. That if we see those around us that need our forgiveness or need a second chance from us, or even maybe even that first chance, that we pray for that grace and we pray for the Lord's help in giving them that chance and giving them that forgiveness, that mercy, and even overlooking their sins at times so that we can restore them the right relationship. We can also experience that joy of being sons and daughters that know God's forgiveness so well and so intimately that we aren't going to hold on to it ourselves. Because many times we're used to that joy of driving around, and it oftentimes kind of seems to be robbed from us whenever we encounter that other driver. But how many times are we that other driver? Or how many times is that an opportunity to exercise forgiveness and mercy and compassion, recognizing that we ourselves are a people that are in need of forgiveness as well? 
Jesus gives us that simple reminder that as we forgive our brothers and sisters, so will the Lord forgive us. Therefore, brothers and sisters, let's take that as a moment of encouragement and a moment of conviction for each and every one of us that we be a forgiving people. For truly, as we exercise forgiveness with one another, so will our Heavenly Father look for the opportunities to forgive us, to overlook our sins, and to restore us to right relationship with Him. May we truly be a people of forgiveness, a people that appreciate the Lord's mercy, so much so that we bestow it upon one another.